Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. I'm Lauren and welcome to The Afterlight. My guest today is James Babin, who is an artist, a counselor, a shamanic, and theta healer. I've asked James to join me today to talk about his journey into the world of spirit, as well as share his tips and tricks on having healthy boundaries, and we're going to talk about the importance of cleansing. James is joining me from his home in New South Wales, and I'm recording in Queensland. The power of the internet. Hey, James. Yep, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> it is so awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. So I know you have such a varied background and I've had the pleasure of being able to, you know, talk to you before, you know, right now, but for our listeners at home who don't really have any context yet, or maybe they do, who are you, you know, maybe in your own words, and can you tell me a little bit about how your spiritual journey kicked off? Because I'm under the impression it started at a very young age. Oh, okay. Um, well, when I was a, a child, no, sorry, when I was a baby, my earliest recollection was um, I do have memories of being birthed, but oh. I remember distinctly being on, the, on a table and all these adults were standing around me and all I could see was all these beautiful rainbow colors. And I'm going, wow. And then I realized one of them was my mother. And that's all I remember, but it was all pretty awesome. And then I don't know how old I must've been, must maybe months old or something. And then as a little kid, I um, quickly, my journey was I'm one of the stolen generations. So at the age of three, I was removed from my family and I placed on a mission on Croker Island, which is a, um, a mission just above Darwin. And as that little kid, I always sensed spirit. And, um, and it obviously used to scare me. I didn't know what was what. And as I got a little bit older, I'd start to ask people, you know, these, about these ghosts. And of course, being a kid, they put you down and say, oh, don't be silly, it's no such thing. So things would happen. And I remember finally, coming off the island and then I was fostered out to a family in Darwin and then at night I never should tell the adults or anyone this but things would come to my room and pull the sheet off and I would freak out and you know they were scary <laughs> and I'd go whoa and I and in one sheet I had used to have a little hole in it and I used to love that because I've got a peek through but I never saw anything but I knew something was there breathing at my bed oh so man. I'd always be under that sheet freaking out and things would touch me in the night so I knew there was definitely things there. And then I had experiences where we went to this house once and uh, all the kids are playing, uh, what was it, hide-and-go-seek. And so, you know, you um, someone says, okay, James, you're in, so I'm just standing, you count to 100, and all the kids run away and hide. And then I do my 100 and I go find him. Well, it was nighttime, it was about 8 o'clock at night, and the, there was no moon, so it was pitch black. So I'm walking around the dark, being all brave, trying to find these kids. I went around to this back of this house where we were, and this was a stranger's house, and I, it was a downstairs house. I walked into the back area where the washroom was, and I knew there was a, a cockatoo in a, in a cage there, but when I got there, this sound went, and oh, my hair stood up. I jumped oh. back, and I'm, and I'm looking into the dark, but I couldn't see, and I knew then and there with all my body that that was no kid, and I flew out of there. So I had many, many experiences and I ran to the front and all the kids were there having cakes because the oh. kid, uh, they had called them in. So I was in the back with God knows what. Oh, so man. my childhood was full of all of these little things like that um, where I just knew there were other things besides humans and um, in the flesh. So as I got a little bit older, um, now quickly, it's a long story, but when I was in primary school, because I'm one of the stolen generations, um, I had a loving family who fostered me, and I won't really talk about all of that, but in that family, when I went to school, being the colour skin I am and being Aboriginal, I did experience a lot of racism. And as a very sensitive child, I knew when I was being put down, when people were saying or looking at me the wrong way, and it was because of the colour of my skin. 
So I used to get into lots of little fist fights with other kids. And anyway, it was pretty common for me to get, you know, double and triple banked by white kids at school. So I'd get a hiding and I learned how to fight. And many times I'd be in the schoolyard and they'd throw rocks at me like they'd stone me. I'd be one in the schoolyard and they'd be pelting rocks at me and I'd be throwing them back to defend myself. This one day I was um, there and this little white boy, and I'll call it black and white, this little white boy, Tony, I was fighting these three white boys and this other white boy jumped in to help me. Anyway, long story short, we won the fight. So that was pretty good. That was one of the rare ones I won. And I got home, but many days I'd come home and I would just sit under the Euralia trees by the side of the house and I'd cry. I never should tell the dogs any of this. I'd just be sitting there crying, poor bugger me, felt sad and sorry and everyone hated me and it was that kind of thing. And as a little kid, everything's blown out of proportion. Anyway, this day I'm sitting there crying and what I didn't know was, um, stepping back from there, when I was in the mission, the, um, the religious people who ran the mission, we were forced to go to, um, to Sunday school and church every Sunday. So everything was religious, say your prayers in the morning and so on. And they used to tell the little kids, if you had a problem, you call Mary and Jesus and God and you talk to them like they're your best friend and they will hear you. So as a little kid, I'm now sitting under this Aralia tree crying and I was swearing. I was saying, oh, F and this and F and that. I hate these white kids. They're mongrels. And then Jesus and Mary used to come and I used to see them and hear them. And I never told anyone because it was just normal, you know. And, and, and Jesus says, all right. So what happened? I told him and then I said, I hate these mongrels. He said, hang on, hang on. So who jumped in? And I said, oh, the white boy. And he said, well, hang on. And he pulled me and said, how can you hate the white boy or the white people? And then he pointed out that there are good and white, bad white people. There are good and bad black people. And he pointed a few things out. And I was about, I think, eight. And I remember my jaw dropping. And it was like this big aha moment. And this amazing energy flowed in. And Jesus just pulled out of my heart my hate. And he put into my heart love. And then and there I knew I couldn't hate white people because there's good and bad in both races and in all races. So from that day forward, I was, I've loved everyone. And Jesus and Mary spoke to me and God used to talk to me. And then a period of time passed as years passed. And then one day I forgot all about God and Jesus and Mary and threw it all in the bin. And then I discovered girls and drugs and everything else. And, um, and I didn't understand any of this stuff. So, I was, I was damaged goods. I'd, on the outside, I looked good, but on the inside, I was damaged goods. My heart was closed. I was full of anger, and I'd experienced lots of racism and put-downs and had fistfights. So not once did I ever get counselling or help because, you know, you just deal with it. And even though I was fostered out, they weren't my mum and dad. I was the oddball. I was the stranger, the extra mouth to feed. I always felt like this. It wasn't their fault. They were good people. But this is how it was. And so a time went where I then started to rethink about God and the spirit. And then one day I let God back in. And then I wanted to know more because the spiritual things would keep happening. So that was like the beginning of my journey. And I must have been about, I don't know, 20, 21 when I started to rethink everything. And then around about 21 to 25, I started to acknowledge God more. And then as I got a little bit older, I'm now 63, as I got a bit older, um, I think I was, must have been about maybe 25, somewhere around there, I started to acknowledge God more, read lots of, lots of books, working out what spirits were and all this kind of stuff. And, and the door opened for me there. So bit by bit, I started to include things, read things, learn things. I was taught how to meditate. Um, and I'm still on my journey trying to see in his spirit. <laughs> now I'm 63. So here I am. So that's wow. a very short intro. But yeah, lots of stuff has happened. But yeah, I've got a lot of learning to do yet. It makes me feel emotional hearing your story. You know, it brought a tear to my eye, Kent. Yeah, just the part about taking the hate out and putting love in your heart. And yeah. Yeah, that, that was very big. And um mm. And it's, it's hard to explain, but the the love that was there with Jesus and Mary and God was just phenomenal. And um, and I'm still blessed they're still here with me today. 
and they never went anywhere so that was pretty special and even when I forgot all about them they were still there and yeah. um and I feel I'm immensely blessed and and I can definitely say I have God in my life big time and I'm not religious I don't go to church I just say I'm a spiritual person mm. but I feel I am so blessed um I don't know how to put it but there are many like me who never made it some committed suicide, some were drunks, you know, they're alcoholics and drug addicts and so on. Yeah. And yeah, I did go down that path when I was younger. I I took a lot of drugs, like when I say marijuana, you know, I took magic mushrooms and everything besides taking a needle. Mm-hmm. And when I think about it later, I realised I was running away from my pain. And to give you a quick example of all this, um, I remember when I was a young fella, about 20, I think I was 25, a couple of girlfriends later, I realised there was something wrong with me. And um, and what it was, was when I was in the arms of, the, of a woman, I, I needed sex. And what was happening to me was, I thought, oh, you know, I'm just a horny young fella, I can't get enough, makes sense. But then, it, then an aha moment happened and I realised, I know what's going on. When I'm in the arms of a woman, I, it's not about the sex. I'm trying to extract from her her femininity, her femininity, her love, her, her feminine nurturance, this thing called woman. And then it dawned upon me I was seeking my mother because I hadn't had my mother since age of three. And I just broke down crying. So a big healing occurred for me then. And I sort of came back into balance and then I felt normal. But it took me to the age of about 25 to have that moment. And a quick example is I've shared that with other men who've had similar experiences and they just break down and cry. So for them, it's like, really? And then it hits them and they, and they go, wow. So when you look at any of that, you can see the damage that, you know, having a kid removed from their family and they're pining for their parents and all this stuff. And just the amount of damage it causes and the inability for that child not to be able to express themselves, closed heart, not understanding what love and affection is not knowing how to fit in or relate. So all these things meant I had great pain and um, and it took me a long time to move that through. And the only way I've done it is through spiritual practice. And by the way, I've never had counselling once. <laughs> yeah, how about that? You know, I, I find that when I have these conversations with, you know, people like like souls like you and even in my own journey, right, that, you know, often difficulty and everyone I'm sure on the spiritual path has experienced difficulty on some level and to some, it would be more extreme than to others. Right. But I feel that, you know, the more that I learn and the more that I read and the more perspectives I get that it becomes clear to me that we really are all on our own journey and you know, the experiences that we need to go through, I believe anyway, are for our soul development. And I think sometimes it just seems unfair looking out or looking at somebody else's story. But then at the same time, it's not for me or for anyone else to judge that soul's experience, right? And I love, I love the the resilience in your story. And I love the fact that you had so many, like so cyclical with, with grief and pain and then love and then grief and pain and then love and, and coming back to that again. And, you know, what is it about your journey or what is it about your resilience? Do you think that, that made you different in an, or an outlier in a way? Um, hard, hard to know exactly what, but I think it's God and spirit because they always were whispering in my ear. I'd always get prompts. Um, and I think I'd be showing things and like, you know, you, know, you the individual don't necessarily know they're there, but somehow someone guides you or shows you something yeah. and things are pointed out and somehow I'd find my way through all the drama and, and yeah, I've had plenty of drama. But I think it's more about God, as God came back more into my life, or rather as I let God back into my life more, I started to realise there was a bigger picture here. There was a bigger something. It wasn't just me. 
And later, as I started to grow and develop in myself through the many readings I had, um, I read hundreds of books. And I was really keen to find out what all this stuff was about. Mm-hmm. And then I realised that when you do a lot of the, the readings, they talk about how God manifested of himself and God knows all that is. And therefore, we have been created on behalf of God. And they talk about monads and souls and soul extensions, which we are. And we're having experiential knowingness on behalf of the divine. And therefore, there is no such thing as life after death. And when I learned about all these kind of things, it, it just made sense to me that I am divinity expressing through physicality. Um, the divine is always with me, as I know it was true, because God was there at the beginning and God is still here. And, and it taught me to look around and you realise that everyone is divinity, the dog, the cat, the plants, everything. And therefore, everything is sacred. And once I started to get my head around that, I realised that I wasn't alone, even though there's a difference between alone and being lonely. Yeah. I realised that I'm here immersed in the sea of godness and it's a matter of choice how I see it or not. And I can get caught up as Paul Bugger James wallowing in his self-pity and shame and blame and everything else. And then one day I thought, this is silly. I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to focus on all the bad stuff that happened and, and you know, the things that occurred to me. And I decided my time of crying was over. And the analogy I did read in a book, which really made sense for me, was it told me about a, pit, a story of a little pig. And the little pig was, the little pig then, analogy is about you and you are the little pig. And it says, well, little piggy, where are you? And you look around, you're in your little mud hole. You're wallowing in your mud hole of self-pity and pain, shame and grief. There you are, covered in crap. And each day you cry and sob and you reflect on all the stuff that happened to you. So there's James crying about 20 years before whatever happened. And I woke up and I go, this is ridiculous. So I climbed out of the mud hole in the analogy, took a shower, looked back at the mud hole and I thought, enough's enough, my crying's done. And I walked the other way and I said, I'm now going to look for sunsets and all the beautiful rainbows and have the yummiest ice cream, the good stuff. And then I was, and in that reading it said, Every time you have a bad thought, like going back into your old pain and remembering what happened, stop it. They said, power pause the moment. And then think of something loving and beautiful that makes you feel good and focus on that. And as soon as you think of something happy, your face starts to light up, you smile and you forget the other thing. But the old pattern then comes back, power pause it. And so it's a process of training yourself to get out of the past into the new that you want to create. And so I started doing that. So through all the things I've read and learned, I've trained myself to get out of my pain and all these things will always be there, but I have a choice and I'm choosing to be more loving, more gentle, to be looking for better things um, as opposed to be this, this victim. So James, the victim is gone. It's James, the man who walks a path of love. I love that so much. And I love that you talk about choice. And I believe that too. And I know that, you know, in my life, when I've had difficulty, it's brought me to readings, you know, probably some, some books we would have in common, I'm sure that remind me of my present power and my present power being in the, in the now and my ability to allow that negative story or those thoughts to continue to build up this story, this ridiculous story, or I can focus on something different and change the narrative. And, you know, I love that, that you've shared that because for me, that's been life changing and it sounds like it has been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For you too. Can you share some of the memorable books that stand out for you, James? Um, I've read so many that none come to mind, but one that I do recall was, um, Conversations with God by the author Neil Donald Walsh. Yeah. And and when I read some of those books, the what I liked about them was they were very simply written, very simply put. Yeah. And in essence, uh, this fellow Neil Donald Walsh reminded me of me and so many others, where you'll be sitting there, you know, thinking, oh well, what am I going to do? How do I fix this problem in my life? Um, and you're trying to work out the strategy for it and the answers. And then you get little ideas. You might, oh, maybe I should talk to Bob in the corner. He might know something. Yeah. And then it's a dead end. And then you'll get another thought. 
And then eventually you get a thought going, actually, Mary might know. And, you, and all of a sudden she has the answer and, and voila, you have it. And you're going, wow. And you don't really think much more than that. But the point he made was he was having things like that happen. And then he realised that the thoughts he was getting back maybe weren't quite his. And then he thought, well, it just sounds like me talking to myself in my head, as we always do. Yeah. And then he realised that maybe it was someone else. And then he realised he was having a conversation with God and he kept checking. Hence the word, the book, Conversations with God. And so the more he started talking like this, he then started to write down all of his conversations with God. And I think most of us are in that boat and most of us don't even know that we're being guided by spirit and even speaking to God. And the world teaches you that, you know, God is somewhere out there and you've got to be someone amazing to have God and rah, rah, rah. It's not true. Everyone has divinity because you are divinity and God can't be anywhere else but right here in you. So there's no magic trick or you don't have to be special to call God. God's mm -hmm. here every second of the day with you. And so the point he makes is he talks to God every day. And every time you say, hello, God, you know, rah, he hears you. It's whether we can get out of our own space to actually perceive and receive and be part of that. So my journey is trying to get back more into that. And that's why that, that book was, to me, amazing. Yeah. And yet it was simple. I love that. I'm reading a book right now called, um, I think it's called The Magic in Your Mind by Al Quran. I'll put the link to these books in the show notes, but yeah, um, in the, in the book, I'm not done it yet. He's talking about, you know, creating space like meditating. And because when yep. you create silence and space in your mind, that's when inspiration can enter. And, you know, I do sometimes talk in some of the business consulting that I do about, you know, taking a break and allowing space so that inspiration can enter. And I, it sounds ridiculous, but I didn't really under, like I didn't really make the connection until I read that, that that's one of the things that meditation also helps with. I mean, obviously I just, you know how you sometimes go, oh yeah, duh, but you just don't think about it in that way. So yeah. I, I realized that, you know, sometimes when I'm being silent, I'll be gifted a thought and I'll think that didn't come from me, but that's a great idea. And it's funny because I could say to you, Hey James, spirit gave me this really great idea to do X, Y, Z. But for most people, I would never do that. I would say, yeah, I came up with this great idea, even though I know that I just was open to listening to it. So yeah. how do you get quiet in your mind? Do you meditate? Is that part of your practice? I meditate uh, seven days a week. Yeah. Uh, some days I'll miss, but most, mainly seven days a week. And I don't get overly caught up with meditating like, you know, one hour every day. Um, but generally, my average meditation for me could be anywhere up to an hour, even more. Um, and when I meditate, um, because I do theta healing, I, I tend to go into theta first. There's a process you do. And then when you're going to theta, you actually are going in into the, um, the, the the level of theta. And and what that training teaches you that you're actually in the presence of God. Now, you always are in the presence of God, but it puts you into a higher state. And in that state, you can converse with God and so on. And it's you getting out of your own way to perceive and receive. So I'll go in there and I'll clean myself up. And then once I've done all that, I'll spend 10 minutes there. And then I'll either stay there or come out and then I'll just sit in silence. And other times I'll sit and call the guys and just see if I can hear what they're saying. And I'll ask for things. And that's where you do your manifesting, like, you know, whatever it is you wish to create. And theatre is a really good uh, manifesting state. Yeah. So I do things like that. And other times I'll sit without going into theatre and I'll just be still by doing breathing. Sometimes I'll do what they call the Allah meditation, where you say the name of God as a repetition. And through the repetition, it focuses your awareness to enable the mind to become still. And as you become still, in, um, you then alter your awareness and then you're probably going into a light alpha state because you're in beta when you're talking. So once you go into that state, you're actually on the platform of um, psychic phenomenon or psychic awareness. And then as you start thinking and talking, you can then call your guides and everything else. And again, there's another manifesting state. So I tend to go into things like that. And that's where, um, if I want, I can sort of push myself to make a vision happen. Or it's like I can make a, um, an imagination turn into something more. 
So when I meditate, the reason I do it is to connect with God, connect with the guides, uh, to allow myself to be still. And what a lot of people don't realise is when you go into an altered state where you're meditating, in other words, your mind is still, all the, the, the mind monkeys shut down because they're bored, <laughs> your awareness and all your rubbish is out of the way, yeah. and all the guides that are standing there with you, they can come closer because all your rubbish isn't in the way anymore. Yeah. They can balance you, cleanse you, heal you, give you thoughts, and a whole range of balancing and cleansing in your physicality. Um, which is much easier and you're able to commune with them a lot easier. So that time of meditating is the best, strongest healing time for you. And it's just awesome. And that's your God time, really, if you want it to be that way. Yeah. And then when you come out of it, um, you do feel better. You feel rejuvenated and you feel good. Um, but if you don't, the stresses of the world can be so severe, you don't realise that it becomes normal for you. And then a lot of people I meet, they don't know how to be still. Uh, they're so fast and, and that kind of thing. So for me, meditating is about all of that. So I use focused awareness to become still. I use theatre to do it. And other times I'll just sit and be. I go fishing in my little boat and it's just me. And I'm in the stillness. And I'm actually meditating and it's a, a moving meditation, really. So that kind of thing. That's beautiful. I think that... You know, you're right. There are a lot of people in the world that keep themselves busy because it's almost as though they want to avoid themselves. I remember, I remember clearly, you know, scenarios with myself where I didn't even want to do the laundry because I was distracted with my thoughts and not in control of them yet. And once I, I recognized that, that's when I went, oh yeah, I'm just not controlling my thoughts properly. I'm not doing breathing. I'm not you know, I'm letting the mind monkeys rattle around in there when they're not serving any useful purpose. Um, I, I love that. And I think that, do you think that the more you meditate, the more you love it and you cultivate time for it? Because I think that for myself, I know how important it is. I know how good I feel when I meditate. I sometimes have a difficult time with choosing it as a priority, even though I know it's so important to do. do you, and I do meditate on a regular, like weekly, but not every day, which is something I really need mm. to make more of an effort. So do you have any you know, suggestions around that for people like myself who aren't making meditation part of their day, but recognize that they need to? I guess it's just make, make a decision, yeah. bloody do it, but. Yeah, well, it's easy to make a decision, but hard to do it. And everything gets in the way. And then when you talk to people, they say, well, you need to prioritise. And we know that. Exactly. But yeah. everything still gets in the way. And then your priorities are different to mine. And when you weigh them up, you're going, well, that's a crappy prioritisation. It doesn't really mean anything. But to you, it's super important. Yeah. So I say to people, if you understand that meditating is good, if you can meditate every day, even if it's five minutes, it's better than nothing. And then people say, oh, I don't have the time. And I'm going, well, it's funny. You sit on the toilet plenty of times, don't you? You fit it in because why? You need to go. And they go, oh, yeah, but that's different. I'm going, yeah, but you do it. Do you brush your teeth? Yeah. And I said, well, how, you may maybe take a minute in the morning, don't you? And I said, five minutes is nothing. No. And then others will go, yeah, you're right. And I said, how much TV do you watch? Oh, well, you know, we'll sit down at 5.30 to have dinner and the TV goes on and we go to bed at 10 and we watch TV every night. I'm going, right. that's funny. You can't even put five minutes in. Yeah. So when you start talking, they start to realise they have a lot of time if they've fared income. The other thing I say to them is, is if you want to get into it more, meditating is not what people think. And they think, you know, you've got to sit like a guru with your legs crossed and all this stuff. And there's all these techniques to, to, to meditate, to do something. But it sounds silly, but if you focus on washing your dishes, in that quiet moment of washing the dishes, you're meditating because you're focusing your awareness on an activity. You're in a meditational state. And when you realise sometimes you're in that daydreamy state and you're not quite there, where are you? You've actually altered your awareness. So meditating is is not what people think. So I can just sit out the back for 20 seconds and just be still and go, wow, I can feel the wind, the sun shining. I can hear the birds. I'm meditating, aren't I? So if I can give myself moments um, and if I really reflect and come into my body and let my body feel it, it actually feels good to have the sun on your skin, to just listen and to stop thinking and just to be and feel the earth. And you go, wow. 
And if you can feel with your body, you know it feels good. And therefore, you'd want to do a bit more of it so you can trick yourself to do stuff. So a lot of people are trying to meditate to see things and hear things and have amazing visions. And it's not about that. It's about coming back into the stillness, which is your natural state of divinity. And the more you do that, the more you balance, the more you cleanse, the more you awaken in your own way, whatever that means. That's brilliant. And I think, you know, for me, I, I run three times a week, right? And when I run, I do my mantras and my affirmations. And then lately, I've been also in mixed in with that. I've been working at, you know, basically cultivating those moments of silence and space. But at the same time, I'm active. So I'm not taking the time, you know, to nurture myself, which is what you're talking about, being in the sun and going into the yard and or doing the dishes in a peaceful, calm state where, you know, I love how you're talking about getting into your body. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I have very few moments and I notice them so clearly when it happens when I'm fully in my body. And I guess the best way to describe that is I understand my height, right? Nope. I think sometimes I feel like I'm just sort of sitting on top, but when I'm fully grounded and fully in my body, it's the best feeling ever. Do you think that, do you know what I mean by that? Yep. To, to me, a lot of us are so caught up in our head that yeah. we're never here. So when you really reflect on that, you're in the past, thinking about something, you're in the future, trying to manifest something or think about the what ifs. And really, are we, are we actually here in the now? And, yeah. and when you think about it, if when you are in the now, who's there? It's you, you and your body. And, and most of the time, we, we hardly feel what's, or see what's going on around us. So when you do come into the body and you're still, that's when you start to notice things all the little nuances, you get, you start to feel your body. And the more you come back into your body and feel it, the more you know about it. And if you really focus on it, you can feel whether it's sick, it's sad, it's happy, the left toes aching or whatever it is. But when you're too busy, you hardly notice a thing. And mm. then the day passes and you realise you can't even remember what happened unless there were really key events. Most of the time you weren't there. But if you can practice being more there by being more still and taking note of what you're doing, you actually have a far more fuller day that's full of you and and then the choice is yours. Then when you're more aware, you actually can have choices of what you're going to think. But when you're not there, you're just thinking all the crap that's bombarding you with all the busyness that you have in your head and your day can be up and down like a yo-yo or you can choose to be with the thoughts you choose. And so yeah. to me, I don't know if you call it a mastery, but that's the way in to keep the balance. Otherwise, you're at the whim of this wind that blows with all the thoughts. And, and if you're working or doing whatever, there's a lot of rubbish out there that happens and you get caught up in it. And then you stagger out of the place, come home and then you have your big breath and then there's you. And what do you do? You start thinking about all the crap of the day. Yeah. So yeah. to me, when I'm still and I come home to me, I'm quite aware of being here. I'm quite aware of the spirit around me. I'm quite aware that the divine is right here with me. And if I allow myself just to sense, I can feel it. But if I don't, I don't feel it. But it's yeah. me actively going, I want to feel it. Yeah. It's like I want to feel my body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Answer your question, but yeah. No, no, it did. And, you know, for me, I've been aware of that for, I think, about five years now. Not that I think the time is, you know, like we use time at the moment. So we have, I'm talking in terms yeah. of time, but you know, when we think about the now, anyway, Eckhart Tolle's work really changed my whole life. It gave me that, I believe you've read his stuff too. And it really yeah. changed my whole life in terms of understanding how present I wasn't and, um, and working at that. And I, I would only imagine how, when you're consciously working at that for as long as you have been, you know, although I know people can do it right away, some of them, they can just start the practice and then they're always like that. But some other people, maybe it takes longer, but I, it is a mastery. I, I believe you are right when you said you use that, you know, comparison. It, it is a mastery and it's not impossible. It just comes down to you, like you were talking about choosing, you know, mm. you know, to be here and be in the moment. And you know, it's so funny. One of um, Eckhart's quotes, he talks about, you know, this shall pass. And 
you know, when you're having a good moment, when you're having a neg a moment that's not so good, you know, these things, they will pass and it gives you comfort when the situation isn't one that you want to be in. And it makes you yeah. appreciate in a way the situation when you know that when you're in a good one and it's, it will eventually end. So, yeah, I love that. So thank you for all that. Now, one of the things I did ask, um, I did want to talk to you about was about boundaries, because I, I believe that, you know, especially in the kind of work that I'm doing, I learn a lot about different methods and different techniques and things like that. But one thing that I know that a lot of people in general struggle with are boundaries. And there are a lot of people who are, who give and give and give, right, and aren't very good at at receiving or aren't very good at saying no and creating those, you know, sort of boundaries. I think there's probably guilt wrapped up in that. Can you talk a little bit about that, James? And if you have any, you know, suggestions to help people with boundaries? Yep. For me, um, all right, if I focus on me, I'm a very giving soul. So I'm happy to share and give and give of my time. And then I've noticed many people will use and abuse you and they take, you give them an inch, they take a mile. And, um, and then one day you realize, well, what, what's going on? And, and then when I realized what was happening for me, I realized that a lot of it is also to do with your belief systems. Because if I believe I need to give, I need to be wanted, accepted and looking good or whatever it could be, mm -hmm. the beliefs then that you hold deep within, um, tend to reflect on the outside and then you start to do activities to fulfill these beliefs and when it comes to boundaries we we don't discern so well sometimes and when I was talking about discerning you'll meet someone they seem they look pretty they look handsome they look nice but we let our head get in the way and we don't actually discern how they really feel and it might take us a while to actually get that oh they're not really nice people and they're starting to do all these things that I don't really like and then as the stuff starts happening, then the question is, is are you able to say yes or no? And then when you really analyse it, we often say yes, or we give in because it's seen as the right thing and we should fit in and we don't want to rock the boat and we want to fit in and all this stuff. And then when you stop and think that all through, if you do the homework, you can actually see it all comes back to your beliefs of who you are, where you fit and who you're supposed to be. And once I did that work I realized I was doing things for other people but it wasn't the right thing for me mm -hmm. and so when you meditate for example you go into that stillness you start to see your thoughts coming and going and when you start to be still you start to see what your repetitive thoughts are and as I put it you start to see all your crap flowing in and out and regurgitates and you think this stuff over and over like broken records and then when you can identify some of the patterns you get a sense of what your makeup is. In other words, what all your beliefs are. So when it comes to boundaries, you can start to clean them up. So for me, I try and clean up what I'm doing if it doesn't serve me. Now, there's no such thing as right and wrong, but boundaries to me are, if I don't like something, do I have the courage to speak up and say no? Mm -hmm. And then when you ask people this, a lot of them don't because they don't want to get hurt. They don't want to be ostracized or put aside or not belong. Yeah. But if they have the courage and the strength and they know who they are, they're able to say no, enough's enough. Knowing that for every action, there will be an outcome. And so they need to clearly understand the action and the outcome to make that decision. So if you're informed on who you are, you can be more informed on the action you're going to take knowing the outcome is going to potentially come out like this over here. Can you wear it? And that's the question you ask. And if you can, it means you've done your discernment, you've appraised the situation and you've got a pretty good idea, well, yeah, it's going to go to crap, but you know what? I don't need this rubbish and I want the right energy in my body, in my space, in my place. And if you're able to do that, you can move through most things because the truth is, is you always have a choice. You don't have to always say yes or no, but it's whether you can handle that outcome and it comes back to you knowing you and knowing what's driving you and why you're saying yes or no. I love that because that's in business, yeah, no, that's perfect. And in business, we talk a lot about understanding your why and your why is essentially, you know, why are you in business? What is your, your mission? Why do you want to serve? Who, you know, things like that. And when you're clear on your why, then you can make decisions that serve that purpose. 
And it's kind of going back exactly what, what you're talking about, but it's getting clear on who you are as a person. What's your why as a person? Where do you want to go and grow? Who do you want to become? You know, who inside you is wanting to come out and shine, right? And I, yeah. you know, I love what you're talking about. And what came up for me when you said that was the question, does this serve me or not? And, you know, one of the things that I do is I go, you know, which decision here, like, let's say I'm at a crossroads, I have to make a right or left decision, which decision makes me feel lighter? And I think that when you are clear on who you want to be and where you want to go, like you were talking about, those markers are easier to follow. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not only are the markers easy to follow, you've got to learn to trust your body, get out of your yeah. head and feel it. And, and it's like you have three directions and you, you imagine it going, if I went down there, that action, what's the outcome? And you feel it in your body like an imagination. You're going, oh, no, that doesn't feel so good. Oh, the middle one feels really good. Um, I could wear that. These are the, the, you know, the goods and the, the bads of it. And then you make a decision based on what your heart is telling you. And often if you can do that and get out of your head, because the head's always wrong, the heart's always right. Yeah. And, we, and people tell you the reverse, it's not true. And so if you trust your heart, your soul, you knows what is right for you. And if you can go with that, you will get it right. You will know which way to go. And yeah, it mightn't turn out the way the world expected, but you know what? It opens doors to, to amazing new beginnings. And to me, I'm trying to be that person more and more, simply because I'm more aware of who I am. Yeah. And yeah, don't worry. My, I, I say I'm full of bullshit. I am. But I know that. And because I know it, I'm able to look at it and go, yeah, that's true. You're full of it, aren't you? And I'm shoving it out every day. And I've got mountains to go. But at least I'm looking. At least I'm becoming aware of me. So yeah. I can make better decisions. Wow, that's so beautifully articulated. I think that, you know, like you're talking about too, it's when you make decisions that serve who you are and what where your life needs to go the people who are meant to be on your journey will go with you right and the yep. people who aren't meant to they will drop away but what you do when you honor your truth and you honor yourself is you say yes to life and you say yes to following through on your soul's plan and you know like you're talking about the things that will come to you, the, the situations, the experiences, the, the abundance, the, you know, the synergy, the love that you will feel will be so much more than growing pains to get into yeah. that flow. Yeah, so the world is so amazing. God and spirit are so amazing. All you've got to do is be in the journey. Just say yes, please. And if yeah. you trust it, it's just, it flows in ways you can't even imagine. But if you try and orchestrate it, it's on a very specific path and it's very limited and often it doesn't go where you should go. Yeah. And, and the more I walk it, the more I'm realising that's the story. You've just got to allow yourself to flow with God and Spirit and, and more importantly, you trust your heart. And that's why in some readings I've, I've had, in writing, sorry, they say, um, your body is the barometer of your soul. It tells you, tells you everything. It knows everything. But we hardly ever give it the time of day and you go, well, if you're so amazing, body, why aren't I listening? It's time to stop and listen and go, what did God give me? He gave me this thing called feelingness. Feel yourself. And when you feel your knowingness, whatever that means, it just knows what's right. And if there's no such thing as right or wrong, but there is a right or wrong for you, then you've got to go with what's right. And yeah, you praise your, your actions and outcomes, but your heart tells you, you go, yeah, this feels right. Yeah. And if you do that, you get it right. So yeah. that's what I try and do. Sometimes it's hard, but you can manage that, that all the doors open. The head really talks a lot about fear. And I know, you know, you're coming back on the show uh, in the future and we're going to talk about self-limiting beliefs. We won't have time to get into that too much today. But one thing I did want to mention when you were speaking just then was about this fabulous book, I think I told you about it. It's called The Surrender Experiment by Michael Stinger. And the whole, you know, the whole idea of the book was that as situations came up, he felt uncomfortable with, I believe in his head uncomfortable with, right? Resistance in his yeah. head. 
that when he surrendered and he flowed with life, all of these miraculous, magical things happened. Ooh, I'm getting goosebumps just even thinking about it. Yeah. And, you know, I think that our heads, they just, they do not set us on the right course. You know, our mind is there for a tool so we can have conversations like we're having now, right? Where we can articulate our thoughts and put everything in order and all that. But, you know, a lot of what our mind does is it blocks us and it puts fear in our path. And very often, pretty much all the time, I would say, it's imaginary. It never happens. And yet it's stopping us from being our authentic selves. Yep. And all of that comes back to a lot of your belief systems. That's what's running behind the scene yeah. from when you were culturized and socialized and the, and the beliefs you picked up through parents in your lineage. Yeah. And when you look at all that stuff, it affects everything you do and the old from this thing called ego, whoever and whatever it is you believe yourself to be and all the things you have to be and all that gets in the way. But when you step away from here and you come to here, all that stops to be and this just tells you the truth. So the hard part for all of us is learning to come here. And I notice a lot of males, and I'm one of them, it's hard to come into your heart to feel because we're, we've been taught to be devoid of feeling, to be tough and strong and be up here and get on with it. And um, so for me to learn to come into my heart was hard, which meant you had to open your heart and let your pain out and then you could feel again. So a lot of us, male and female, have shut ourselves down and we don't really want to feel because it hurts. Yeah. But when we do feel, we can open those doors. Yeah, yeah. And it's almost, would you say that it's almost, um, you know, it's temporary uncomfortableness I can't even say that word, uncomfortableness, right? It's temporary. Yep. And then when it, it's it gone, then it's gone. And you can open up to Absolutely. this beautiful life. Yeah. And, and, if, and if you can go through whatever it is that you need to go through, they say, you know, um, if you open the door, everyone's got skeletons in their closet. And, but the door's shut, so the big boogeyman's in the cupboard. That's terrible. So no one opens it. And when you open it, Lo and behold, it's not as bad as you thought it was going to be. And then you go, okay, then yeah, it might hurt a bit and there's a bit of drama. But one thing I worked out is once the drama has come and it's gone, it's finished. And when it's said and done, it's finished. And then there's a new beginning. And irrelevant of what you did, right or wrong, how bad it was, it's finished. Then you can move forward and go, okay, now what? And a new beginning comes. But until then, the guilt, the pain, whatever's sitting there stays there unresolved. And so, therefore, you're actually in crisis and you have this ongoing trauma and stress in your body and it keeps regurgitating. You even dream about it. You don't even realise it. But all these things have to be resolved. And if you want to heal, you've got to deal with it. If you don't, they keep jamming you up. They keep blocking you. And then all the beliefs around them as to the fear and whatever, they become new beliefs and they, they stop you from being your authentic self. And yeah. so, really, the, the path forward is meditate, look within, see what your repetitive patterns are, see what you're thinking and doing and really look at yourself from the outside in and then you'll start to see yourself maybe for the first time clearly and write down all these patterns and behaviours and then start working on them and if need be, come and talk to someone like me who does theta healing Yeah. because we work on the belief systems and you start changing them and pulling all the traumas and stuff out, you can download and replace them with the good stuff. So you can move forward, you can grow, but you've got to unblock all the wrong stuff that you've put in there. Yeah. That's yeah. the problem. We're carrying all this wrong stuff. Yeah. And I'll put a link to James's email and phone number in the show notes as well for our listeners at home. If somebody's listening and they're thinking, I love what you're saying. You talk like a poet, that's for sure. But I love everything else that you're talking about. And, you know, that feels right to me because I think the thing is that people need to remember, and I'm th so thankful to have conversations like this with people like you, to remind them that they don't need to live in fear and they don't need to live with these insecurities and they don't need to live, you know, a life that's not full of love and abundance and gratitude. That They don't need that. They can choose a different route. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty powerful. Yeah. It is. And I think that, you know, for someone like yourself, who's gone through a lot of trauma and come out the other end, you know, you are now more relatable to other people 
who have gone through that, you understand them on a different level than someone like myself wouldn't understand, right? Not having gone through those things. And I think that that's sometimes what what's the silver lining of going through challenges as well is you can help and inspire other people to move out of their own grief. It reminds me of, I can't remember the exact words, but the Bible has something like, um, know thyself before you can know another. Mm. And when you listen to those words, I never really knew what that meant, but when, when I don't even know if I understand it now, but to me, to know myself, I have to look at myself. I have to see all my good and bad, to see what I'm doing and understand why I hurt and cry. And when I know all of that and I have a real good insight, when I look at anyone else, we're all the same. And your journey is no different to mine. You all got aims and goals and you all want a warm bed and a hot meal. Everyone's the same. So everyone's pain, whether mine's big or little, it's irrelevant. We all hurt. And when we look at that, um, I'm really not that different. And we all go through the same kind of stuff in big or little ways. So you can relate to everyone and you can help everyone because... I'm you and you're me. And if I acknowledge it that way, we're not really apart at all. So by looking at yourself, you really start to know everyone else too because there's nobody really any different to me or you. And people go, oh, no, no, yeah, it's true. Yeah. <sighs> well, <laughs> we've been talking for almost an hour. I don't even know. Anyway, I mean, I know how it happened, just fully being in the moment, right? That's, that's how it happens. When you're here and you're experiencing the now, time doesn't exist. Before we wrap up, though, James, can we talk a little bit about cleansing? Because we didn't get to that subject. And um, I know there are a lot of empaths in the world who struggle with cleansing. Can you talk a bit about empaths and cleansing and any suggestions you have on that? Yep. Um, my understanding of it, and this is what I do, uh, for example, if I do a healing on someone, whether it's on the phone or in person, um, I obviously, I focus on them. I might even get a photo of them to look at them. And I go, yep, I can see what's going on. And I'll do a bit of a reading and a healing at the same time. But I've also got to be aware that before I go into that healing, I need to set my space up where I'm working. So I'll bring in divine light, which simply means I'll do a quick prayer to God and I'll say, create our arcs that you download into this room, the bright white protective light of, of God Almighty, wrap me in your light, wrap this in the room. And there's a process where I might remove any energies that are not of the light or any low vibrational energies. I flush it all clean. I set my space up. There's, so there's many ways you do this, but I always bring God in, and the guides in. Yep. I'm now prepared. I'm set. I then engage the client. And what you've got to remember, and, I, and the word I use, it's called energy transactions. My space and your space are two different things, but at another divine level, we're all immersed in one because we're like the ocean and we're all the same. But we have these little divine sets of consciousness, so we're separate at one level, but not really. Yeah. So when the person comes into my space, all of their stuff comes into my presence and I feel it. Yeah. So if this one's a real yucky down person who's angry and negative and, and whatever, as soon as they come in, I just go, oh, and it hits me and it feels like ants are biting me and it's burning my skin. The more negative it is, it's burning. I can feel all this crap running all over me. It's awful. So that tells you I'm sensitive. And if yeah. it's what I refer to as darkness or yucky stuff, it, it's even twice as bad. So, yeah, when, as a healer, you do get stuff on you. So what I do is I put my energy around you, a bubble of light. I then put an intention that, I'm engaging, I'm looking at their energy and I'm exploring it, but I'm not going to take it on board and I make that intent. So I put the light around me and as it starts to come in, in my own way, I'll push it back going, I only need to see what I need to see, but I'm not going to immerse myself in it. Right. So when it comes to these energy transactions, even when I'm talking to you, Lauren, there's an energetic connection from me to you that's a psychic link. So we're now connected in each other's space. Mm. doesn't matter where you are, we're here together. And in a funny way, we're like two lovers wrapped in their arms. Mm. And then when we part, you've also got to decide whether you want to connect that link or disconnect it. So when I'm in the space of someone, briefly or for a reading or a healing, I've got to be aware of their energy coming in. And then when I finish... I then there's a process called cutting the cords. And if you visualize in your mind that there's a psychic link between me and that person, I will then grab that cord with my mind. And this is a simple way you can do it. 
imagine grabbing it, you say, I now disconnect, I cut this cord, I reflect it back, and this is their energy and this is mine. And then I wrap the light around me and I wrap the light around them, and I do it through theatre and I ask Creator to disconnect me, wrap me in my light and to remove any energies that are not mine and to fully disconnect me from that person. Yeah. Now, you can do that through your intention and you'll call your guides if you don't work in theatre, same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And people go, oh, but I'm not powerful enough. Yeah, you are. Mm -hmm. Your intention is strong enough if you keep doing it and it becomes a habitual pattern. Yeah. So I, I set my room up, my space up. And then when I go places, I might go to the shopping centre, I'll start to notice gunky stuff coming. Go, oh. So then I'll put the light up and I'll push it away and i say, this isn't mine. And I say, not mine. And I get in my mind, I go, and it goes. Do you do that with your hand? You just pushed your hand there. Absolutely. And if you need to do that, yeah. Uh, in my mind, if people are there, I'll just do it in my mind. I see my knees go, it goes out and it shoves it all away. I just imagine <laughs> you walking um, around going with your hands. Okay. Yeah, maybe well, don't do yeah, that. <laughs> but you've got to use these little techniques because yeah. the reality is you've got to remember my energy is mine, me, the ego being called James. Yeah. Knowing that the ego being called Lauren is different to me and she carries her own stuff as yeah. I've got mine. And if I want to partake in it, that's fine, but I don't need to own it. So yeah. when I do the so-called healer walk away from the session, if I don't disconnect, what happens is the energy cords of that person is still connected to me. Now, if you look at it this way, I don't know if my vibration was say 20 vibrations and the person was 10, they're obviously lower vibration. They come to me for a healing. They feel my loving energy and they go, oh, yum, and they want it. So the, con the connection comes absolutely and, and we're talking because god's coming through so of course they want it because they want one thing which is love which is divinity yeah. and then that cord is locked in we're doing whatever i then walk away i didn't disconnect i'm still connected and so that connection it means they're still taking my energy they're still connected and if they can take it all their crap and ups, ups and downs of what goes in their life guess what i pick up on it and it comes in and out so i'm now tainted with their stuff do i need it no i've got enough of my own crap so better off cut it off, move it off and take it through. That's me. Sorry, love you, but let you go. Yeah. And I move on. And if I have 10 clients in a day, I don't want 10 lots of stuff. No. So I've got to clean every day. Yeah. And, and you'll notice lots of people go shopping and the mum comes back with a big trolley and she feels pretty tired because she wallowed in everyone's crap that was in yeah. that supermarket. There could have been a million people went through by the time she got there. And it's just one big sea of emotional gunk. And then she comes back covered in it and and she can feel it, but she doesn't know what's going on and she's drained. So an empath obviously is someone who's very sensitive. They're very empathic. They relate and they pick up the energies. So for them, more so than the average Joe Blow, they need to be very clear. There are processes where you can push it away, block it off, do little rituals to bring the light in and be very clear. My space is this. That's theirs. And practice visualising your space and putting that light. So yeah. you know it's real. But yeah. if you don't, it's just an airy-fairy thing you're doing. You, you, your body has to be told it's true. And, yeah. and the way it works is your conscious mind, you're, you're told something or you see something, and, and the job of the conscious mind is to say, is this real? Do I accept this as a truth? And if yeah. it does, it then filters into the subconscious and it tells the subconscious, this is true. Subconscious says, who says it is? It's true. Locks it in, it plays a program, and your new truth is, that's real. So if you remember that, you really are the subconscious running the programs. You now need yeah. to say to the conscious, you know what, this is my new truth and it goes like this and I believe it absolutely and just keep playing that game. So what happens is the neuron pathways in your brain fire and the new set goes, this is true. And then not only does it become a new habit, it just becomes normal. And you'll be able to push away a lot of stuff and you'll know when it's coming in because you'll feel it. But if you don't, you're just like a puppet, just this tree blowing in the wind, whichever way. And especially empaths, they don't want to be in that boat because it'll make them sick. They yeah. pick up stuff and all that stuff, yeah. yeah. So that's my take on what I've learned for me. Yeah, just that's doing really helpful. And, the other, and quickly, the other thing with it is, is people, when you're empathic, you're a bit like a sponge. You allow all the stuff coming in. Yeah. And this is why, I don't know, if, if you had a one-night stand at the pub and went to bed with someone, the question to ask is, when you got out of that bed, what did you take with you? Mm. you when you immersed yourself, yourself in the arms of that other, all their stuff is with you. 
And when you had that intense emotional experience, all this stuff dumped into you and vice versa. And if there are other things there, it's all there with you and it's still in your house. So someone who's quite empathic has to be quite aware, do I choose to take this stuff on or not? And you need to discern who do you let in at that level. Mm. So there's all these choices. So everything's about an energy transaction of, of giving yeah. and taking and sharing. And, and all these connections, these cords, very important. And sadly, a lot of people don't know anything about these cords. Yeah. Because I meet so many people who know lots of stuff, but not about the cords. Yeah. One tip I was given on the show was to use um, for people who are still working at visualizing, for example, they might, I don't know what you think about this, but they do like a karate chop. So you kind of yep. go chop, 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 chop in front of you. Uh, you know, as long as you need to go until you feel disconnected from that person. So if somebody, you know, is feeling like they're not able to visualize just yet, that do you think that's that's a helpful method? Absolutely, because you're thinking it, you're intending it, you're physically yeah. doing it, and therefore the outcome is it must be right. It's true. And if you believe it that you're doing it, it must lock in and becomes a truth. So yeah. chop away. Yeah. Because in my mind, I'll grab the thing and I'll cut it with scissors. Yeah. Or, I'll, or I'll just push it away um, or, or I can call the guides to help me. But I believe you don't have to give it to all the guides. You can do it. You can do it and you can also ask them if need be. But yeah. the more you do this, the, the thing to remember is you are divinity expressing through physicality and therefore you are so empowered. It is phenomenal. Take that power and go, you know what? I can bloody do this. I don't need to ask Jay Blow to clean me up. I'll do it. And when you start yeah. to own it, it becomes your truth. But if you're half-hearted, well, you only get a half-hearted outcome. So either you go for it or you don't. So I had to learn the hard way. And then, and quickly, when you, I don't know, I won't get into this, but if you have a psychic attack or some energy come to you, um, in whatever form, the question is, how do you deal with it? Do you need to run to someone to get fixed up or can you deal with it? Nine mm -hmm. or ten things you can fix yourself, unless they're, you know, pretty amazing. But you have to have the faith that you are able to move the stuff. And this, no, this is not mine. Not sorry, be gone. And you can. But if you don't, then you've disempowered yourself because you're not believing it's true. So everything you believe is actually the, the crutch of this thing. If you believe yeah. it, it can be. But if you yeah. don't, it's not going to be. So protection and empaths and all that stuff, super important. And, and the thing, the parting note would be, Think about the vibrational energy of what you want in your body. And if you want to think low vibrational thoughts, then that like attracts like. And then when yeah. you mix with that stuff, it comes to you. If you want high energy, play in the high energy, become the high energy. And then a lot of the lower energies just bounce. But you've got to decide where you wish to be. And every day, and this is the problem, people say to me, oh, I'm protected by my guides. I don't need to do anything. I'll say to them, well, you you are the one in the physical body. You're the one having experience, not the guys. They're only there to assist if you ask. But they won't fix you up every 10 seconds. Yeah. The problem that we get is I'm walking down the street, and this is an example of it. I see the most gorgeous hot babe. I'm going, oh, man, she's pretty all right. And if I start looking at her sexually, <laughs> my high energy's up here, and it goes, whoop, and it's down there in the lust going, man, look at that. And then I move on, and my energy comes back up. And then I see something angry and terrible, and I go, oh, I'd like hit him in the head. My energy goes down, and I walk past. So by the time the day is passed, I went up and down in vibrational energy, depending on whatever I thought and experienced. Mm. I finally come home. If my protection was up here in the morning, by the end of the day, it ain't there, it's gone. All the crap washed it away, like bricks, they fell over. So I've got to constantly cleanse and balance and, and maintain the thinking. And the guides can fix me 100 times a day, but if I'm going up and down like a yo-yo, the protection doesn't stay. Yeah. And that's what people realize, have to realize. You're the one running the show, not the guide. Yeah. yeah. So if you want to stay balanced, you've got to be aware and you've got to look after you. And that's yeah. why empaths have to be really clear on what they're doing. And they just can't assume one cleanse a day fixes it because it doesn't. Because we're actually in a sea of energy and we're always interacting wherever we go. Yeah. Same as me talking to you on this, this phone. Yeah. If I look at a, um, an email, a video, Whatever I'm looking at, if I'm empathic, guess what? All the stuff pours down the image and it's all in my body. And I'm going, oh, and I feel it straight away. So, yeah, I'm a little bit empathic as well. Yeah. So I'm going to be aware of what I'm looking at too. And I have a choice. No, no, not mine, not mine. And if I play in that energy, it'll be all over me. And then I can feel it. So 
I like that. Not mine, not mine. That's so good. Yeah, and, and I in my mind I wrap myself up. Oh, not mine. I wrap them and I cut it off. Yeah. There's a way I can use my hands to move it, but I've got to intend it with my mind. Yeah. And I can even ask my guides and God to help. Yeah. So um, everyone has to be responsible, and too often we're not. We we give it to God and whatever, and they'll fix it. It's not their job. Mm. And if you think about it, you're given divine free will to come and experience. It's your business, your stuff, and your yeah. stuff to deal with. Yeah. yeah. Well, James, thank you for such a fabulous episode. That was so great. I know that you've already agreed to come back on the show. So I hope next time we can talk about self-limiting beliefs and maybe we can talk about the power of the subconscious if you feel, um, you know, called to, to discuss that. Um, thank you so yeah. much. You know, I... There are so many takeaways from this. It was a moving, funny, interesting, you know, wonderful episode. So thank you so much. It, yeah, I learned a lot and I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for having me, Lauren. I'll put a link to James's contacts as well, like I said, in the show notes, as well as some suggested reading. And I'll also put in a, um, links to some of the books that were mentioned in the show for our listener at home. Hi. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.